Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hey there. I wanted to tell you that recently, in the last maybe few months or so, I have been like dying to put together some new content or something that has been like tickling my brain that I haven't taught in the same way. I, when I was a kid, used to love teaching. I used to love playing school and I'm the oldest of three and I would force my younger brother and sister to be my students while I taught them. And back then I didn't have like any fancy school materials. I think maybe I had like a chalkboard and I would give them homework assignments and I just loved playing school and teaching. So um, I think that's definitely part of uh, who I am at my core. So anyway, I've had these ideas kind of circle around in my brain about what to teach next, what, to, what would, what would um, you want to know more about or what would be interesting to you or, or help you. And what I came up with is a masterclass that I have coming up March 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's going to be about the neuroscience hacks for increased confidence. And what I'm going to be going over are things like the default mode of the human brain and how instead of using it as like something that could sabotage you or hold you back, like most of us do, using it to your advantage. I'm going to be teaching how to get out of this this self-doubt spiral that you can sometimes find yourself in that I've been there um, several times uh, in the last week even in under 60 seconds. I'm going to teach about the secret neuroscience trick that actually makes you better at your job while increasing confidence and a couple of other things too. So it's going to be a lot of value and it only costs $7 and I'm not selling anything at the end of it. This is really just you come and absorb the information, bring a notebook and a pen or something to take notes on because it's just, I'm just going to be kind of spilling all of the things that I've used over the last few years. And then I teach my clients on how to increase your confidence. So you can get that link to register from the episode details and I'll love to see you there. Have a great one and enjoy this episode. Dr. Katherine Schumer is a family medicine physician who founded health, wellness, and weight loss centers based on the biopsychosocial program that she created, and she used it to reverse her obesity, insulin-dependent diabetes, and also to survive postpartum congestive heart failure. Now, 20 years later, she helps others optimize their health and wellness through weight loss. Katherine, so happy to have you here today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. So I can't wait to hear your story because I think it's so fascinating. Anytime anyone creates something (laughs) like Mm -hmm. a center or a practice or anything. So tell me how you have built the life that you have for yourself, despite the normal human self-doubt imposter syndrome dilemma. (laughs) Okay. Well, initially I I went to medical school, wanted to go to medical school. Although my, my take on imposter syndrome is probably a little different than most people. Good. Yeah. But, good. Um, I actually did a TED talk on, on imposter syndrome. Yes. Okay. So. Then you're like, an, you're an expert. Let's hear it. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Awesome. So, um, so initially I went to medical school mm-hmm. and one of the things that actually when, when um, studying imposter syndrome for, cause I did do the TED talk and I was yeah. looking into it and, and um, because I, since the pandemic, there's been a lot of coaching and coaches mm. 
coming mm-hmm. out. And so I started getting a lot of messages, especially when I started following certain platforms saying that they'd help me with my imposter syndrome. And I, and based on what I was reading, I didn't think I really had it. Yeah. Now I do have doubts. That's not, I mean, obviously I do have self-doubt. I do have, you know, times when I'm just like, I'm not sure about, I'm very unsure of myself, but I just thought they were normal growth yeah. feelings. I never yeah. considered it a syndrome of any kind. And so I started, you know, because I've in, in going through medical school, um, sort of declaring at eight years old in 1973 that I was mm. going to be a doctor. Um, I didn't realize that I was going to come up against a lot of opposition and resistance yeah. to that. And fortunately, I had parents who were very supportive and very encouraging. My mother's an educator. My father, um, you know, is is a mathematician. So he, it was, you know, I knew about academia and um, higher education already. And so it just never occurred to me mm-hmm. um, until I got to university when I was told on my first advisory uh, meeting that I would probably get into medical school, but I wouldn't get through. Mm. And I, I couldn't figure out why. I just so said, well, yeah, it, it, it was just based. And at that point, all she had were my SAT scores, which were good. Mm-hmm. And my high school grades, which were good. And not, I hadn't even taken a first test in college yet. Hmm. And so I just didn't understand um, where that came from. But I didn't internalize it. And yeah. I think that a lot of the reason why I didn't internalize a lot of resistance and what ultimately was prejudice really um, yeah. was because of my parents. They sort of shored me up before I got to mm-hmm. that point. Um, I still had times though, when I, some of that, those little voices crept in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and made me think that maybe I couldn't do it, you know, cause everyone has that test that just sort of kicks their butt. Yeah. College, you know, you think, well, maybe I'm not med school material. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and, and also there's a, a certain level of, I can do it because I'm special, so you may mm-hmm. not be able to. In a lot of areas of of, so, of society, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of that. Um, a lot of people just want bragging rights. And mm-hmm. so they'll elevate whatever it is they've done. And until you're in it, you realize it's really not as much as everyone made it out to be. Yeah. And med school is one of those things. Mm-hmm. So that was really where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of having to push through that. And then once I got through med school and through residency, which was pretty grueling, um, I had two babies in three years. Um, and then I got very sick. Hmm. And I um, was very obese because I just gained weight through stress, stress eating. And mm-hmm. um, I ended up uh, being an insulin dependent diabetic. And then a month after my daughter was born, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Mm. And um, at the time was told I had about a 50% chance of living five years. And as a physician, I knew the prognosis, Mm -hmm. um, but it just knocked me out. I mean, I just, um, I spiraled Mm -hmm. down because I, I didn't have the energy really, the mental energy, the physical energy, none of it to kind of push through um, everything I needed to. And so, um, 
So at that point, I was struggling with depression, mm-hmm. postpartum depression, chronic depression, you know, diagnosis depression. And so with depression, you get the sense of hopelessness and helplessness, mm-hmm. which again also is sort of a imposter syndrome. Yeah. People, you know, feed into, you know, kind of a, 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 a excuse me, subscribe to imposter syndrome. Yeah. And so, um, but at that time, this was 20 years ago, we weren't talking about imposter syndrome then. <laughs> we were right. just, you know, I was just depressed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I focused on that. And once I overcame that, everything else sort of fell into place. And so um, in trying to get help at that time, because I was so high risk because of my heart, many of my doctors did not want to take me off my medication for diabetes. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to help me try getting off my diabetes medicine. And so when I tried to lose weight, I was told, focus on your heart, don't worry about it. Mm. And so I ended up creating my own program, which later became what I do now, which is a health, wellness, and weight loss, uh, because I needed a, I wanted to create a center where one, compassion was the cornerstone of it. It was not about shaming for change, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is very common in the weight loss industry. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it to be a part of the weight loss industry, which is an industry. Mm-hmm. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Absolutely. And so and that industry makes money off of people losing weight and then gaining it back. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my philosophy is that weight loss is a health issue. So you should lose it and it should never come back so that you you maintain your health. And so I decided to do that, which of course brought up a whole bunch of other things of self-doubt. I'm not a, you know, I'm a physician. I'm not a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. I'm not an entrepreneur. I've always worked in, you know, worked for other centers. I didn't have one of my own, you know, and, and I was, close to 50 years old at that time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, it's too late. You, you've missed mm-hmm. your window, you know? And, uh, but I did it anyway. And um, to make a long story long, <laughs> it, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do now. And it was based off, based from a place of um, real darkness. It was yeah. probably the lowest I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, like when you were struggling with, your health and depression, like what was the thing that like, what, what, what was the thing that you could grasp onto to kind of get yourself out of that place um, instead of going the other way where it continues to get worse and, and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Well, two things. One, a physician um, had with postpartum depression had committed suicide about a month before. Oh my God. So that was forefront in my mind. I mm-hmm. knew that that was a place where I could go because I, mm. I had read about it. It was you know not too yeah. far from where we lived. And so I, I just kept thinking, you know, if you get to that point, you've got to do something. Yeah. But the other is, fortunately, I had medical information. I had my education. Mm-hmm. And I just said, you know what to do. If you were your own patient, what would you do? If someone mm-hmm. came to you with these symptoms, if someone came to you saying this, what would you do? And I was like, you know what, I would do this. And it was like, and would you expect them to ask permission from someone to do this? And mm-hmm. I was like, no. And so I knew the laws. I knew that 
as long as you prescribe, you know, it's not really a good idea to self-prescribe, but in um, the state where I live, it's not illegal for me to prescribe medication for myself as long as it's not a narcotic Mm -hmm. or a controlled substance. And so that's what I did because I couldn't get anyone else to do it for me. Oh my gosh. And so I just put myself on an antidepressant that I Mm -hmm. knew worked because I had been using it with my patients. And um, quite by accident, happy accident, it is now an antidepressant that's actually used for weight loss. At the time, uh-huh. I didn't know this. Yeah. It just happened, you know, now it's been re, uh, renamed, mm-hmm. F- re- FDA approved for weight loss. So it kind of killed two birds with one stone, mm-hmm. which helped. Um, I also had my husband who was also a physician who was extremely supportive. Mm. and my mother-in-law lived not too far away. So she kind of kept an eye on me all day, every day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and the other is that um, I'm from a large family. I have, you know, seven brothers and sisters. And my youngest brother had died in a motorcycle accident. Mm. And I knew the effect it had on my family. I saw firsthand on all of us. And I just would not put my parents through that again. Because that was my, my my ultimate fear was that um, postpartum depression can drive people to the point where you can have psychosis, have mm-hmm. hallucinations, have you know, and so it can it can get dangerous if it's untreated, left untreated. Yeah. And um, and so that's what I did, and that's what I grabbed onto mm-hmm. was that I won't put my parents through this, I won't put my husband through this, and even though I knew, even in depression. It's very easy to think, you know, people would be better off without me. Mm-hmm. And having had an illness where I couldn't do anything and everyone had to do everything for me, it was very easy to think that. But I wouldn't let myself go there just because of other things that had happened. And I had seen the reaction of people I loved when those mm-hmm. things happened. And that's what kind of kept me from going over that edge. Yeah. Wow. Well, I wrote down some notes based on your story I'd like to mm-hmm. touch on. So the first thing okay. you mentioned is, is the viewpoint of your, your viewpoint on, on imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. um, I have to listen to your TED talk now. Yeah. I'm curious to know, like, what's the, like, what was the message of that talk specifically that talk. when it came to imposter syndrome? Yeah. The actual title of my TED talk is imposter syndrome by any other name is bravery. Mm. And the reason I say that is because imposter syndrome is tied to achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have imposter couch potato. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, it's like you have to do something to become, you know, to have that. Yeah. And usually what it is, it's it essentially what imposter syndrome is, is the internalization of other people's prejudice. If other people saying you don't belong where you are, either because, and it's usually people who are high achieving, which means there's also a certain level of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And so there's always that underlying thing that maybe I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. and someone's going to find me out and they're going to realize that I'm really not supposed to be here because a lot of those messages get implanted usually in childhood. Yeah. And so by the time, you know, you're an adult, they've already festered. Mm -hmm. They've been in there. And so, but what I see as, what's called imposter syndrome are basically, at least what's now is kind of, 
it actually started off as imposter phenomenon, Mm -hmm. which was basically, it was a societal thing saying, you know, people feel this way because society has made them feel like they're, they don't belong. Yeah. And then it sort of morphed into imposter syndrome where it got placed onto the person. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't feel like I belong because I don't feel like I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. And that's really not where it started. But what happens is that people achieve their way into it and then they achieve their way out of it. Mm -hmm. And the only way that can happen is if you're constantly pushing forward out of fear in doubt, you know, when there's self-doubt, there's fear, but you're still moving forward. And to me, Mm -hmm. that's bravery. That's not, you know, so that's my... Exactly. And so usually what happens is people either sabotage themselves, which is not as very often, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, They might hold themselves back, but they never actually completely sabotage themselves. But usually what happens is they just work harder. And then what happens is they work themselves to the next level to then where they can feel those feelings all over again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point in in a theme that kind of runs throughout the, you know, probably the last year or so of the podcast. And I love how you frame it there because it's so true because I think even the terminology of imposter, like calling it a syndrome is Mm -hmm. it makes people feel like there's something pathologically wrong with them instead Mm -hmm. of it being this, this normal kind of part of human, our human brains. Like you mentioned earlier, like you had, there were doubts that came up. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's that it's these doubts that come up and then people for various reasons, like you, you described internalize an external view, either that's mm-hmm. been told to them verbally, mm-hmm. like you don't belong here, like can happen with prejudice and all of these things or with their other senses, like what they're seeing yes. or hearing, then their brain makes the connection that I am an other mm-hmm. and therefore I must not belong. And yep. I think, Luckily, what's happening slowly, not fast enough, I don't think, yes. slowly is that you, we, are, uh, we are now seeing people, and I think mm-hmm. it's especially women who belong in this mm-hmm. space, who, who are the ones who are, you know, see a group of men around a table and they think that they, they don't belong. The exactly. shift in the, in the belief now is if I look around the room and no one looks like me, Mm-hmm. That's exactly the room I do belong in because they yes. need my perspective. So I think the more of us that can get the message out that, mm-hmm. that that's actually the shift that belongs, then I think we can get the, the syndrome out of it because mm-hmm. then it yes. becomes, if so, I think it's a slippery slope because then it if is. you think there's something wrong with you, then there's shame mm-hmm. and that goes along with, oh, I'm, a, I'm an imposter. And then I'm shame. I feel shame so that I don't want to talk about it. So then you don't yes. know that mm-hmm. other people have similar mm-hmm. stuff. So then it's like, exactly. A, yeah. And in, in medicine, a syndrome is can't be cured. Yeah. So if you have imposter syndrome, then you're, that's it. But it's interesting yeah. you said, because actually there is a point in my talk where I said that, you know, shifting from a phenomenon to a syndrome pathologizes mm-hmm. the yeah. feelings that are natural and normal. Yeah. And then yeah. it, it makes a person feel ashamed for having those feelings when everybody feels it. Yeah, exactly. Um, perfect. So another thing I wanted to mention, oh, that I wanted to touch on is that I love that you said, and I just want to highlight it, but you said it's, mm-hmm. I just, I had self-doubts and they were just normal growth things. And I just mm-hmm. loved that so much because mm-hmm. 
it's like, it's such a beautiful invitation to, Mm -hmm. if I'm experiencing more doubt, then that's fantastic because that means that I'm growing. So I love that that's the, your natural way of framing it. That's so beautiful. And it, it, you know, it, it, um, fortunately I have very wise parents, but it took me some time to get there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 57 years old now. So, you know, at, I'm at a point now where I'm, you know, it's like, I I hope I'm wise, (laughs) you know, but I can tell, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, but, um, you know, you just sort of, you know, take lessons in life and you try to incorporate them and you try to understand them. And um, I, I remember sitting in, you know, my first day of med school looking around and everyone looked terrified. Mm-hmm. Everyone looked terrified. And in fact, the people who didn't look terrified were probably the most terrified because yeah. they were trying so hard to hide it, <laughs> that, yeah. you know? And so, um, you know, and I just, and I just remember sitting there thinking, uh, because I did have, you know, comments made um, when in medical school of saying, you know, that that I was there because of quotas or affirmative mm. action. And I remember calling my father. I was so upset. And I called my father. and I was like, you know, this is really hard. And, you know, people are saying I don't really belong there. And he said, the next time someone says that you are there because of a quota, just ask them, how does my skin color take my tests? How mm. does skin color pass tests? past board exams, past MCATs, get grades. It doesn't, it's my mm-hmm. brain, not my skin. Mm-hmm. So, and that, that sort of shifted, that took that, you know, because it was starting to creep in, yeah. you know, well, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe their grades are better than mine, maybe, you know, and, um, and actually I didn't initially get into the medical school of my first choice, mm-hmm. um, but it was the school I really wanted to go to because it was a school that really emphasized a uh, biopsychosocial approach to people. So that's the whole person. And so the joke around Michigan was that, you know, our school produced social workers, not doctors. Mm. And to me, that that appealed to me because I'm yeah. like, really? Oh, okay. That's where I want to go. That's to where school. I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and so when I went there, but I didn't get accepted, but it was my first choice. And so I got very upset. So I went to the admissions director mm. and I asked, why wasn't I accepted into the school? And so she got my folder, she went through page by page and she was like, Catherine, I don't know what to tell you because your grades are just as good as everybody else's. You know, your extracurriculars are just as good as everybody else's. Your grades are just as good as everybody else's. So if I can't get you into this year, I'll get you in next year. And mm-hmm. that, and I got in the next year. And, but I fortunately had that information going in. So it was again, a more just as it was armor. So when people yeah. said, made those come, I knew I know your grades are the same as mine because the admission director told mm-hmm. me. You know? mm-hmm. And so um, that helps. But again, you know, still it creeps in. It's yeah. There are those moments of when you're tired and you're, you know, everyone has those moments uh, when you're down. And, mm-hmm. um, but the key is knowing they're temporary. It's a temporary feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that stresses the importance of like, meeting your basic human needs regularly comes into Mm -hmm. play when we talk about the downstream effects of self-doubt over time. And Mm -hmm. especially if, you know, we're in a a job that is relentless and grueling and we're not getting rest and we're not fueling Mm -hmm. our bodies appropriately and we don't have support 
and and then you have self-doubt it's almost Mm -hmm. like you're that prevents your natural ability to you know not internalize those Mm -hmm. doubts and make them yeah and then you get to the points of hopelessness and helplessness and yes. those kind of things. And it, yeah. it, unfortunately, uh, medical training is a hazing process. Yeah. And so, and unfortunately, the, the, the trauma of that doesn't necessarily go away once you're finished. It gets carried over into a lot of different situations. There's a lot of, you know, there's competition between the different specialties and you know, even within, you know, there's always this hierarchical thing that goes on that everyone's trying to, you know, one up someone and see mm-hmm. who's, you know, who, what the pecking order is. Mm-hmm. But because of that, though, and I think that's changing now simply because one with the pandemic is it is really, high, you know, highlighted a lot of problems within healthcare. But also uh, the statistics don't lie. I mean, physicians have um, three times the suicide rate yeah. of the rest of the population in the country. And we're not inherently more depressed or more suicidal. It's just we're pushed into situations where that comes out, where we don't really have a way of releasing that. And that's why I think wellness, this push for wellness is so important and such a wonderful change. And one of the reasons why I incorporate that in everything I do, because you know, I don't care how much weight someone loses or how well their blood pressure is under control. If they feel lousy, you know, if they're tired and they, or they feel like, you know, that, that uh, the rest of their life isn't in balance, then those numbers don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. It's health is um, so much of health has been forgotten and like the social and, and emotional mm-hmm. health it's like we forgot about that (laughs) for decades and it really takes a toll on our physical health. It does. And the pandemic has made us aware. Yeah. Very much aware. Yeah. Um, If nothing else good has come out of that, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. it is that it has made us recognize what health really is. And it's not just a number in a chart. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Another thing that you mentioned is when you got to the point where you were, you wanted to create this practice for yourself and, mm-hmm. and help people in this special way that you can, there was a lot of doubt. And you said something, you said, I did it anyway. So mm-hmm. what advice could you give to someone who has this, has a desire or a goal, and mm-hmm. they do feel that overwhelming doubt? How do you, how do you, how do they anchor into that did it anyway spirit? I... What I often do, well, this is something actually my father kind of taught me. He's an engineer mathematician and he always said, you know, he would, um, he actually has patents based on observations he's made in nature Mm. and, you know, language patterns in, you know, he was listening to, you know, uh, uh, he was sitting in Jamaica and he he heard language patterns, which is like a, uh, and he's like, you know, that, that is something that can be used in, um, and, and he, you know, anyway, just to make a long story short. Um, but, and so I use that same, um, that same thing. I look around me and I look at what mimics what it is that I'm doing mm. and what analogy fits. And I, and one of the things that I would think about is I had um, at the time, my, um, 
eldest daughter had a child and I was watching the baby try to walk. And every time he took a step, they'd fall and they'd stand mm-hmm. back up and they'd just walk, walk, fall. And I was like, because nobody told the child it's a hard thing to do and that they should be scared. They, mm-hmm. they kept taking steps, knowing, having no clue what's coming at them or what's coming around the corner. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what we should keep doing as adults. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and just know that you're stumbling at first, but if you keep doing it, you're going to get better and better at it. Mm-hmm. And so you just do it scared. And the other is my mother's always very, has always emphasized there's a lesson in everything. So I never was one to think of things as failures. Mm-hmm. It was like, what's the lesson? And so I kept thinking, well, the worst case scenario is I'll, it won't work and I'll learn what not to do next time. Yeah. And that's really, um, and, and I tried to keep the risk down by, one of the things that helped me is that I didn't want my business to be, have to, I didn't want to be driven by the fact that I had to make money to keep my business open. Yeah. And so I did, I, I kept my overhead really, really low. So that way I could make mistakes and I didn't lose too much. Mm-hmm. And, um, or I could, you know, pivot and shift. So when the pandemic hit and I had to shut my office down, um, I was able to pivot to an online virtual model and still keep my office just in case the pandemic, you know, went away rather quickly because my overhead was so low, I was able to keep it. Yeah. You know, had I jumped into a huge office with lots of staff and which, you know, I, I would have been devastated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Planning helps me not be so scared. Mm-hmm. The pros and cons. I like lists. Yeah, yeah. I love my lists, my checklist, yeah. my pros and cons list and all of that. And, um, and I listen to people who know more than I do. Mm. You know, I find people who are just smarter than I am. And I just listen and I ask them questions. Well, I don't know if it's smarter or just have done more it. More knowledgeable. In yeah, that area. In that, in that yeah. area. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's, that's great. So many, um, so much wisdom from this episode. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people learn more about you and find, find more about you? Well, um, my website is drtumor.com. That's D-R-T-O-O-M-E-R.com. Not the tumor tumor. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone always teases me saying you should have been an oncologist. I'm like, no, yeah. I want to be too close. Yeah. yeah, too, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm on Facebook um, and I'm and, and on Messenger. So I'm C. Harmon Tumor MD. So I pretty much, if you put in tumor, Dr. Tumor, you'll mm-hmm. find me because there's only, I think, three or four on Facebook anyway. Okay. And then uh, sending me messages. I love to teach, I love to answer questions. I'm pretty open. So you know, if, if you send me a message and have a question, I'll answer it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great to chat with you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this.